If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 30 through 50 in our time this morning. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 50. I got on the internet yesterday and um, went to a particular site that's all about success and greatness. So I just thought I might read a couple quotes to you about what is this thing, greatness. People certainly are very happy to talk about it. So one individual said this, to achieve greatness, one should live as if they will never die. It's interesting. I think we could say a lot about that, but I'll just keep reading. Someone else, um, this actually comes from Michael Jordan, you must expect great things of yourself before you can do them. Somebody else, Zig Ziglar, you were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seeds of greatness. Feeling pretty good, right? And then someone else said this, there is greatness inside all of us, but first we must choose to be great with a finite amount of time to live your ideal life, the time to embrace your inner excellence is always now. Interesting. What would Jesus say about greatness? Ooh, thank you. Junior church. I forgot to, to if, you, if you need to go out for junior church, this would be the time. Sorry about that. Thank you. Well, what would Jesus say about greatness? Well, you think he would say it like that? I don't think so. When we come to this particular passage, Jesus is going to describe greatness in a way that you might not typically expect. But if he thinks that's what greatness is, I wouldn't understand that and come on board with it. So let's read the passage. It starts with, uh, you know, last week James had been speaking about that previous miracle with the disciples and They weren't able to cast out the demon. Well, anyway, picking up from there, Jesus is traveling with his disciples on the way to Capernaum. And listen to what the passage says as they're on the way to to Capernaum. Kind of what, what, what is Jesus thinking is really mission stuff, stuff that's great and important. Verse 30 says this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were. Because... He was teaching his disciples. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Here is Jesus who's on this mission. And at this particular point, he's really focusing on his disciples because he wants them to learn some important things. What is it that he wants them to learn? Look what the text says. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That word delivered can also be betrayed. It will be betrayed into the hands of men. And that will be Judas that will do that. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So here's Jesus as they're moving to Capernaum. And he's talking about what's so important in his own ministry. And of course, what they would like to see is all the glamour and brilliance. Jesus says, guys, one of you is going to betray me. I'm going to die, but I am going to resurrect. 
And all the disciples heard that and said, oh, yes, this is exactly what we expected from the Old Testament. Is that what it says? Not exactly. Look at what it says. Verse 32. They did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Now, I've wondered about that being afraid. Maybe they were thinking back when, remember when Peter rebuked Jesus the first time he started talking about his death and burial and resurrection? Not so, Lord. And Jesus had to rebuke him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Maybe they were kind of thinking about that like, we're not fully understanding because that's not what greatness is about. I don't think it's about suffering and sacrifice and all that stuff. But we remember when Peter asked, uh, like, are you asking? No, I'm not asking you, me either. I, I don't know. I don't know what that all looked like, but like they weren't going to say anything. They get to Capernaum, and this is where everything kind of comes out. When um, some of my children were still teenagers, I would um, give them certain rules and requirements. And one of them was, especially early on, like you got to be home at night. By, if you're taking the car out, you got to be home at 11 o'clock, especially if you have a junior's license, okay? I want you home at 11 o'clock. Yes, dad, yes, dad. Well, I don't know if they thought I was stupid or something, but I was normally waiting up to make sure that that was the case. You know, I, I didn't sleep real well until I heard that door click and then I go to sleep. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get, you get this stuff, okay? Got it, right? But I would often then wait till the next morning. And if they got home at 11.30, next morning I'd say, um, so what time did you get home last night? And they know that I know. And they're caught. Jesus is going to catch the disciples coming out of that experience where Jesus is unburdening. Guys, the way up is the way down. Jesus descends into greatness as he dies for us and is going to resurrect. And like it just goes way over their heads. They don't get any of it. And somehow in the midst of all that, as they're walking from wherever in Galilee to Capernaum, they got on this topic of greatness. Now, I, I don't know how that happened. Maybe they heard death and life and maybe they, maybe Peter was saying, hey, it was pretty cool. I was up there for that transfiguration. And, you know, one of the other disciples, Matthew, was saying, I wasn't. Yeah, I know, because Jesus likes me more than you. I, I don't know what happened. I, I don't know how they got to the conversation. But somehow in the midst of all that, they started saying like, I'm better than you are. You know, that kind of a thing. Listen, and Jesus catches them. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what time, did you get to, what time did you get home last night? No, not exactly. But what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about what, who was the greatest. Now, in all fairness to the disciples, when they're not sure what to say, they don't say anything. That's not a bad thing sometimes, okay? They've, they've kind of learned that one with Jesus. If you're not sure what to say, maybe you ought not say anything. So, so, so I give them some high marks, I suppose, for that. But somehow, Jesus is unburdening sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice he will make for humanity. <laughs> and, and they get to the conversation, I'm, I'm better than you are. I'm great, you're not. All that stuff. So Jesus is going to teach them what greatness is. Look at what he says. Sitting down in the house, Jesus called the 12 to himself. And he makes a statement which on the surface doesn't make any sense. 
He says, anyone who wants to be first, now, wouldn't you expect, should try to be first. I mean, that's kind of what a lot of these greatness sheets were saying, weren't they? Like, hey, if you want to be there, aspire, you make sure, you know, anybody wants to be first must be first. That's what, not what he says. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Wait, 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 well, well, if I want to get in line for that, why, you want me to go last? Jesus says, yep. And the servant of all. No, 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 come on. Influence and power and greatness is all about being at the top and controlling things, isn't it? And Jesus says, no. No, greatness is bound up in being at the bottom. That doesn't mean like you demean yourself and you treat yourself like you're nothing. It means you're in a position where you're, you're looking at others and you're serving others and you're telling them by the way you treat them, I value you as a person. Do you see? Jesus wants to help them with this image. So there's a child there. Now, in, in antiquity, um, if it was your child, they were important. If it was somebody else's child, they weren't important. Because they're just, they're just kids, you know? And look at what Jesus does here. It's so powerful. He took a little child whom he placed among them. So Jesus says, you got to be last at all. And then he, he finds a child, maybe the child of where the house they were in, who knows, whatever. And he brings the child and he puts the child right in the midst of them. And I don't know how long a period of time that is, but everybody's kind of looking at, at that kid, you know? And look at what Jesus does. Taking the child in his arms, and that term sometimes actually is translated hugging the child. Now, I don't know if he hugged them or just was holding them. But either way, he eventually picked up that child sitting down and he holds that child. A child who would represent the insignificant, unimportant person in your life. Not that they really are, but you perceive them that way. Does that make sense? Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Folks, do you see how powerful that is? That, that tells me all kinds of things. You can find a believer who you may see as being insignificant for a whole host of reasons. They're not at your socioeconomic status. They don't have the brain power you have. They're not as good looking as you are, not as strong. I don't care. You come up with the list, whatever it is. We all have our lists. And Jesus says, because they have a relationship with me, they are in Christ. When you welcome them in the name of Christ, who are you actually welcoming? Christ. Which is why when Paul's persecuting people in the book of Acts and Jesus comes and appears to him, he says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul could say, well, I wasn't persecuting you. I was persecuting them. No, when you persecute them, you're persecuting me because they're so connected to me that what you do to them, you do to me. I have to tell you, I forget that with people. Do you? 
Do you mean that freshman in college at Lancaster Bible College who always gets their work in late, who always has an excuse to come to class late, all of which needs to be dealt with. I'm not saying any of that. Okay, I get it. What I do to them, I'm actually doing to the Lord that they're connected to. That's what it says. It's true of your child. It's true of anybody in the body of Christ. And I would ask you for just a moment in your own life, who are the little children in your life? The quote, unquote, insignificant ones. Not not really, because they're not to Christ, are they? But from our perspective, it's just whatever. Oh, no. When you welcome them, you welcome Christ. If, if we believed that in the core of our soul, it would change all of our relationships, folks. Wouldn't it? We would always be asking... How can I speak to them in such a way that I, that I help them and show them that Christ values them and I, I want to help them take their, the next step with Christ, whatever that means. I just want to love them. Because what I do to them, I'm doing to Christ. I'm doing this in the name of Christ, to Christ, when I do it to them. I'm telling you, that would change everything. You wouldn't see that person coming down the hall and go the other way. Like, oh boy. I, I remember and nobody like is in the church like this. Okay, I'm just illustrating. We had a dear man, Tim. I don't know if you you remember um, Mr. Rice, uh, church Tim and I grew up in. He was a dear saint of God, but if he talked to you after church, you're stuck for at least 45 minutes. I've had, we. It was a huge. It was a huge. It, it was a really big uh, foyer that we were in. And I, I remember talking to him sometimes. I would literally keep backing away. And he, of course, he would follow me. Um, and I would start a conversation in that part and end up almost over there. Am I right, Tim? I'm not exaggerating. I mean, dear, dear saint of God. But when I saw him coming, I thought, like, my next hour is gone. Gone. <laughs> but he had a lot of gems to say and share about, too. And God kept having to try to remind me, think binar. What you do to Willard Rice, you do to me. God has strategically brought people like in that, like that in my life for much of my Christian life to continue to remind me of this incredible truth. Now, my guess is at this point, John is feeling a fair, fair amount of pressure because Jesus is on this roll on the positive side. Well, you welcome them, you welcome Christ. He's going to get to the negative side in just a minute. But John's going to just like, I got to like divert this conversation because I don't like the way I'm feeling right now. Okay. So John makes an insertion that he thinks that Christ is going to go, oh, John, nice, nice, nice thing. Look at what John says. I love it. Verse 38 interrupts. Teacher, John said, We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And he's expecting Jesus to say, oh man, John, you are so good. I'm so glad you're on my team. And Oh man, yeah, that was great. It's not exactly what Jesus says either. And John didn't realize that selfishness 
can also ma- manifest itself in, okay, I'm going to make up a word. My wife hates this when I do this. I'm going to do it anyway. It can also surface in what we call groupishness. You know, click, well, clickishness is probably a better word, but groupishness. Can I make up a word? Okay. So, okay. So here it is. I just did it. Okay. So, so he, John is saying, Lord, he wasn't part of our 12 group and we saw him in your name casting out a demon. And we went directly over to him and say, Hey, pal, you're not in our group. No way, man. Knock it off. So that's what we did, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. Do not stop him. Jesus said, verse 39, for no one who does a miracle in my name. See, the Christocentricity runs all the way through this text. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, Jesus says. It's not like those Pharisees and religious leaders. For whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah, to me, will certainly not lose their reward. Now, let me tell you what this passage is not saying. This passage is not saying that as a church, we should look at every other religious group and every other church in the, you know, around the country and just say, it doesn't matter what they believe about Jesus or the gospel. We don't care. We just, we just embrace everybody. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what this text is about. You understand that, don't you? Because if you don't have the truth of the gospel, you have nothing. You lose it all. That's not the point. He's looking at somebody who believes the same way, but he's not in this group. And it's this groupish clickishness that says, because you're not actually part of us, you're on the outs. And Jesus says, this guy over here does everything in the name of Christ. Matter of fact, he wants to even give you a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus says. And when he does that, I will remember it. And reward them. So don't forbid him. Don't look down on them. Because they're not part of our group. Us four behind the door. No more. You know. No. No. Get away from that thing. We are people. That are not always trying to exalt ourselves. By saying. It's all about Doug Finkbeiner. Or it's all about my group. And you're not part of my group. And blah 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 blah. No. That means it's all about me. And not about Christ. To be Christocentric means to welcome all in the name of Christ. And when I look at my group, I, and some, if there's another church down the road that teaches the gospel truth, and they're growing, and we're, we're just plateauing, praise the Lord, God is doing work. Do you see? Because it's all about Christ and his kingdom. It's not about me or my group. It's about Christ. And that's what matters. So, John's trying to divert this whole thing. It doesn't go terribly well. Because Jesus again takes him back and says, it's all about me. And so Jesus says, let me continue where I was. I I talked to you about welcome those. And on the other hand, I'm going to talk to you about the fact how serious it is to actually cause them to stumble. So that's where he picks up here in verse 42. He's continuing back with where he started. So he still got the child on his lap. Do you see that? 
When you welcome them, you're actually welcoming me. And then he goes on and says this. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Yikes. Well, let's just turn the page and read something else. No. Jesus says this issue of offending and treating people in such a way that they walk away and they say, Christ doesn't really care about me. What I was taught about love isn't really true because Finkbeiner treats me in such a way as if I'm not, and Christ isn't. Can I do that to people? Can I treat people like I'm saying, you're nothing, because I don't have any time for you, because I'm too whatever. Yeah, I can. And Jesus says, you know what? You know that big millstone? These things could be, you know, five feet in diameter. You know, they can be huge and weigh hundreds of pounds. Jesus says, people who name the name of Christ and live their lives offending and hurting and devaluing and not loving in the name of Christ people. They, they actually show that they're not believers, okay, by, by doing that. But, 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 but he says, it would be better, rather than living a life where you're constantly hurting Christ people, treating them as if they're insignificant and all that stuff. It would actually be better if you were dead. That, that you took a millstone, wrapped it around, t- took you out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and let you go. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just reading the text. Living a life of offense is very serious to God in every area. And I, 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 I deal, because of the college and because experiences in the past, I've dealt with a lot of church situations in a lot of different churches through the years where people come in for advice and all that kind of stuff. And it grieves me how many churches have been deeply hurt and sometimes it's by their leadership. And all I can tell you is Christ sees it and he takes it serious. So what are we supposed to do? And Jesus is going to say what we need is radical surgery. Now, as I read this, not literal surgery here. It's metaphorical. But listen to what he says. It's really important. So, okay, what do I do about this? Jesus, you just said, rather than living a life of offending people, it's better off not to live then. You ought to just kind of get out of the game. And, and Jesus says, no, no, this, this, is, this is what... what what needs to happen. If your hand, verse 43, causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. Literally, it's the word Gehenna. Where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. 
If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Yikes. This stuff is getting worse. Now, is Jesus promoting what some have called a stump theology? You know, where you kind of cut off all the limbs, you know, like, I'm not doing so well. Cut off the arm, man. Had the other one. I'll chop that baby off too, man. The leg, get, take the, so what's left is my torso. I like, I like, what do I do? Just bump around. I mean, is, is that what he's after in this passage? Is he saying like physically? If I cut my hand off, has my heart changed? No. Now, he's, he's not saying, obviously, that you would physically do any of these things. Often in the scripture, the hands and the foot and the eye and, and the mouth, not so much in this passage, are often connected together as expressions of a heart that is moving in a direction against God. Like in Proverbs chapter 6, you often see that. So they're grouped together. What he's saying here is this. It's not about, about physical surgery. It's about spiritual surgery. It's about going down into the heart in such a way and, and not saying when I mistreat somebody, oh, whatever, it's just Bill. And if your name's Bill, I'm not thinking of you, sorry. You know, hey, Finkbinder hurt me. He said, call me, he said, just Bill. I, I'm not thinking of you. I'm just using Bill generically. So it's just Bill. Jesus would say, it's not just Bill. It's me. And what you do to him, you do to me because he's connected to me. And so Finkbeiner, dear, deal drastically with these things. Read the scripture, pray, talk, whatever you have to do so that God's spirit can work in your heart and you can value what God values, which is God's people, whoever they are, wherever they are. So he goes for the juggler. Is this text saying that we go to heaven because of what we do? You could see that people might think that, can't you? What I, would, what I would argue is this, and I'd argue strongly. We are saved by grace through faith alone. You and I, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've come to him as a sinner and said, God, I can't, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do with my sin. I am lost and undone. Will you save me? In one fell swoop, you become a child of God, one of his children, saved, secure, forever. There. You are, you are, you're a born-again believer. No, we are saved by grace, through faith, alone. The Bible is very clear on that. It's also very clear on true faith is never alone. Which means faith will manifest itself in the way I live. And so one who doesn't give evidence of transformation into the image of Christ, not perfection, none of us are perfect, I get it, I get it. But, but there's progress in movement. If there is none of that, that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation, it means we never had it to start with. Do you see? 
And so when you have these passages where Christ is calling his people, his true people, to live this way, in time, they will. Because they're the people of God, and that's what the people of God do. Doesn't mean we don't struggle when it's hard and we backtrack. And I get it. I get it. We all struggle. I get it. But the spirit within us is moving us in a different direction. And so somebody who professes faith and lives and treats people as if they're not important has never truly understood Christ to start with. And yeah, they will end up in hell. That's true. But not, they don't go to hell or they don't go to heaven because of what they do. You don't go to heaven because of what you do. You go to heaven because of what Christ has done. But if you're connected to Christ, he changes the way you live. This is the same kind of thing that happens. You remember that passage in Matthew 25? It's a really fascinating passage where where it's called the sheep goat judgment. And you've got, People brought in before God in that final day of judgment. And, and of course, those that are saved are secure, called the sheep. Those that aren't are called the goats. But in this case, in Matthew 25, when they're brought forth, Christ looks at the one group and says, enter into the joys of the Lord, because when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you helped me. Goes through all these things. And they're scratching their head and they're saying like, Lord, what, when exactly did we do that to you? And Jesus says, well, when you did it to the least one of these, you did it to me. And then he's going to look at the group on the other side, the goats. And he's going to say, depart from me, from me into eternal judgment. Because when I was sick, you didn't help me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they're saying like, when didn't we do that to you? And Jesus says, because you did not do it to one of the least of these. And he's talking about his people, believers. You didn't care enough about believers who were connected about me, which gives evidence of, of the fact that you never knew me to start with. Do you see? And this passage and that passage are saying the same thing. And what's interesting to me is, it's not like the sheep are saying, hey, we've got to do all this stuff for Jesus because if we don't, we're going to go to hell. The sheep are just doing what sheep do in this case. And in their case, they're caring for one another. Because that, that's all they know to do. Because that gives evidence that they're truly a sheep to start with. Do you see? Where the other group shows that they're goats by the way they live. And Jesus is calling his people. That's why I know when I preach a passage like this, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... God's going to do something in your heart. Oh, you may fight with it for a couple weeks. The Spirit of God's going to keep coming back and saying, who's the least in your life? Ah, oh, man, it's my Aunt Jenny or something. I don't know who it is. You, you, and if your name is Jenny, I'm not thinking of you either. I, whatever, I don't know who it is. But he's going to keep bringing that person back because you're his child. And at some point, you're going to say, what I do to them, I'm doing to you. So my act of service is always an act of worship because it's all about Christ. I will do it in your name, by your strength, by your power, for your glory, because I'm doing it for you, Lord, and doing it for them. 
Do you see? I mean, that's what happens in the heart of a Christian. It's inevitable. You can fight it for a while, but good luck. Not going to work. Jesus ends by saying this. Everyone will be salted with fire. And I have to tell you, that could be one of the hardest verses to understand in the entire gospel of Mark. (laughs) Okay. Um, There's all kinds of possibilities here. Here's my take. And I kind of base it on 1 Corinthians 3, frankly. Uh, The word for comes before it, which means it's connected back, not going with what comes after. So here's the point. I think what he's saying here is this. Everybody will appear before the judge who will experience either the fire of ultimate judgment or the fire of purification. That's what you have Paul saying. Paul says, look, we're going to stand before God and he's going to look at our life like it was a building and it's going to be like a fire and some people are going to be saved, yet so is by fire. Not going to be a lot left, a little bit, not much. But the Christians, still saved. And so fire often talks about that time of evaluation that comes in the future. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're secure in him, even as he looks at your life. If you're lost... It's all about where you find yourself in hell. That's all it is. It's, it's not good at all. So Jesus says, look, it's going to be like, because, you know, you know, in antiquity, if you really want to protect meat, you put a lot of salt on it, right? You know, protect it, preserve it, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's going to be this evaluation for all one day. You can't get right away from that. But Jesus says, let me talk to you about another kind of salt in verse 50, which is really good. So that thing is coming. You can't get away from it. Even Christians will experience it where God will evaluate their, not whether they get to heaven or not, but he'll evaluate their lifestyles. But Jesus says, let me talk to you about another kind of salt, which you need to be using right now. Verse 50. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now, you may say, technically, salt can't lose its saltiness, and you would be correct. But in antiquity, they would often have these blocks of salt and other kinds of minerals all mixed in. And, 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 and then you would go and you'd kind of scrape off the salt, whatever you could, right off of that block. But it was mixed with all kinds of things. And it wouldn't be unusual for that block to be there. And if salt was mostly on the outside, that salt could just be kind of washed away in a rainstorm or something like that. And there's a block left there with no salt in it anymore. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So salt is good. But, but, but look, um, if, you're, if you're going to this thing to try to get stuff to put onto your steak... Um, I didn't say ham because they wouldn't have eaten ham, but to put on your steak or something, um, and it's no longer salt, doesn't do you a whole lot of good. It's not tasty. It's not preserving anything. Salt is good, Jesus says. And I think what he's saying here is this. Be who you are. Be who you are. Well, you know, this is a lot of tough stuff. I don't know about that Aunt Jenny stuff, you know, or whatever. I, I, this, is, this is hard. No, no. You're a Christian. Be who you are. 
Be salty. Be, be salty among yourselves. So a lost world who has lost its way with relationships, hasn't it? I mean, people are canceled and tagged and all kinds of things. And you're a, you're a sexist, you're a racist, you're a genderist, you're a, I don't know, an ageist. I don't know. They got all kinds of ists anymore. They're all kinds of ists. Honestly, my biggest problem is I'm a selfist. That's my biggest problem. And that's what this text is about. Look at yourself. That, 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 that's where your problem. And, and when you do and you realize in the body of Christ, we are all one. We are all important. Because what I do to you, you, I do to Christ. So be salty amongst yourselves. I mean, so I go and I, I see, uh, I don't know. I see Sandy afterwards. And I want to have a salty relationship there. And what, I mean, I want to minister to her. She wants to minister to me and what we say. And, and I see Tim and I see Jack and I, you know, I just come, come all the way through. And we're all about being salty. How do I value you? How do you value? Because you're in Christ. I'm doing it for Jesus. It's all about Christ and doing all this stuff. Jesus says, there will be peace among you. What else? Salt among us produces peace among us. And a world around that doesn't have a clue how to put it together, but making mandates and doing all these restrictive things gets to look at a body of people who are so different. But it doesn't matter that we're different. We're united around Jesus. And that changes everything. Do you see? I mean, that's what he's calling us for it to in this passage. He's not against his disciples. He loves them. He's saying hard things to realize, to shake them up and say like, whoa, yeah, that's not good at all. This is serious stuff. Yeah. Deal with it, Jesus says. And I've, I have found, um, Sherry and I were talking about this and I was sharing with somebody else about it too. It's really hard to preach some of these passages because I feel like I have to be living it out at least a little bit. You know what I mean? But every week you get assigned a passage and like you got to preach that passage. And I, and you know, I've worked through this passage the last two weeks and I just, um, God continues to work. You know what he does? He continues to bring people in my life to stretch me. So just, just realize, this week, that person's coming, man, just coming. And you're going to, the first time, you're going to roll your eyes, and you're going to think like, oh, man, that's what we, that's that whole welcome Jesus thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So I don't know who that person is in your life. But what's made the difference is, it's not like I'm a computer. I got to just treat Stephen well, because Stephen is is part of the human race. He is. But Stephen is my brother in Christ. And when I love him, I'm loving Jesus. And Stephen needs to see, think the same way about me when he looks back at me. Because Jesus connects us. Jesus is everything. And anything I give Stephen, I give him just a little cup of water afterwards. Jesus says, I'll remember that. What? Do you see? It's pretty simple. It's like impossible to live apart. You, forget it. You can't live it apart from the empowerment of the spirit. It's impossible to live. 
But it's, it's simple to understand. That's not the problem. The problem isn't here. The problem's here. So will you allow God to redefine what greatness is? You know what else I like about this? In the world, greatness is often this image that very few people can ever actually live up to. I mean, how many CEOs of a company can you have? How many guys are going to make the MBA? You, you, you know what I'm saying? But greatness in God's kingdom, every believer, by the power of the Spirit, can attain it. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, but I'm not. Do you know Jesus? Yeah. And get out there and welcome Jesus, man. Everybody in here, if you know Christ, you can do that by, by the power of the Spirit. The gospel is always liberating and never exclusive if you're in the body of Christ. So I don't know who the little one is in your life. Ask God to bring little ones into your life. And when they're brought into your life, love them in the name of Christ because when you love them, you're actually loving Christ. Father, these are hard words. Some of this language is strong because you do not take lightly your people and how we often treat one another. God, Do your good work in our hearts. Reveal to us the little ones whom you've called us to serve. And Father, may we not do it for fanfare or for approval or for pat on the back. May we do it for you. Because when we do it for you, we're actually doing it to you, which is the amazing thing. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot. We need your spirit to empower us from the inside out. And then, Father, whatever work is accomplished, we will return thanks to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed.